passing through sacrifice to conquer every sting of death. Sing, sing hallelujah. For joy awakes as dawning light when Christ is
Good morning, my brothers and sisters. Uh, greetings to you and to all those who are at home this morning uh, watching. We, we think of you often and uh, do long for the day when we can all be together again in assembly, but are thankful as uh, hopefully thanks to the tech team giving a lot of good options for folks as we think about those who we want to take care of and think about our own risk and, and all these things. So welcome, good morning. Uh, by way of announcements, uh, first I'll draw your attention to the welcome card. We've not been in the habit of, of uh you know, drawing attention to this. Uh, but if the best way to know what's happening at Providence Church is probably through our regular Friday email. So every Friday we send out an email with upcoming events, sermon notes, order of service, everything that you'd want to know. And to get on that email list, you can just fill this out and, and uh, indicate to us you'd like to receive those. You can give them to Kathy, leave them at one of the back kiosks. Uh, but just so you all know what's happening at the church. Uh, Discover Providence uh, is coming up on March 14th, so this is if you're relatively new uh, to Providence, you want to know what, what uh, the church is about, the direction we're going, our, our priorities, a bit of the history, that kind of thing. Please do come on the 14th, it'll be uh, during the 9.30 hour of church, and again, you're not committed to anything by attending that, it's just kind of an informational session. Baptisms. Uh, this has been a real struggle in my own heart and mind as to how to do the sacraments during this time. As you know, that the, the Lord's Supper, Supper, by definition, is something that's done communally. Uh, baptism is, uh, you know, receiving a, a believer into the covenant community. So you think about that and say, well, how do we do that with half the church family at home? But that being said, we've decided to have a baptism class on the 7th of March. So again, the 930 service. That's just an informational meeting. Say, why is baptism important to Christians? Uh, where does it come from? Why do we put the attention on that that we do? And then hopefully we'll do baptisms on March 21st. Uh, that is uh, during the services. So again, you haven't been baptized. You say, but I put my faith in Jesus. I read about what he says about this being important for coming into a church family. The class would be a good informational session. Again, March 7th. Uh, and then uh, baptisms hopefully on March 21st. March workshops. Fourthly, we have one on God's attributes taught by our very own Jack Tobik, who was chair of the board uh, for a, a long time. Jack's just been such a faithful member of our church and uh, a time for us. So maybe you want to go to either the 8 or the 11 o'clock service and pivot to doing the workshop at the 930. That would be a great thing to do should you be so inclined and to meet other people. The March workshops, uh, workshop this year on the attributes of God, Jack Tobik, those four Sundays in March. Lastly, uh, the elder-led prayer meeting. We've been trying to do these um, monthly. They've been going very well. So this upcoming Wednesday, the 21st, in the cafe, uh, we will pray for one another, for our church family, uh, for our region, and for our nation. So the elder-led prayer time this Wednesday evening, the 24th at 7 o'clock. Those who are in youth group, you'll have your normal programming, of course, in the other parts of the building. Now, it is a great uh, privilege. Now, some who've come to Providence a long time will find it odd that I'm, I'm introducing this individual, uh, Dave Borma. Uh, Dave was on staff at Providence for 11 years, uh, faithfully ministering uh, in the youth group and in, in other areas. And since then, Dave's uh, went on to, he's transitioned to lead one of the um, arms of our denomination, the EFCA, the Association of Churches we're in on their, their mission front called Apex. And so recently we've established a partnership between Providence Church and Apex, but I'm very thankful for Dave's faithful ministry, and we've invited him up just to tell us a bit about uh, the ministry at Apex and how we can support him as a church. Well, good morning, friends. Good morning, family. 
is what it really feels like. It is good to be with you this morning. Um, I noticed on my first trip up here, uh, there's still a bunch of mess up there in that, up in that corner from my uh, shenanigans as a youth pastor. So uh, I'm sorry about that. And uh, there's a few stains on this carpet up here from me too. So, um, but it is really, really, really good to be with you. Uh, Kathy, uh, Kathy Foldsey and Kathy Mack said, oh, I found a picture of you guys from 1999. You look like children. I'm like, thank you very much. Now I'm an old man, appreciate that. Um, but speaking of family, I wanted to give, just give you a quick update. Uh, this is our family. We live in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Uh, our oldest is on the, on the left there, that's Tyler. Uh, Tyler was born in Lakewood. Will was born in Lakewood, just, you know, we call this home. And so uh, Tyler's a freshman at Westchester University. Like many college students at this time, uh, he's in his bedroom upstairs online, you know, so we're all working from home. Will's just, Will just turned 17, he's a junior in high school. Shauna bought an ornament that had the Grinch and the, the, uh, the, a mask said stink stank stunk 2020 and will was like you're crazy this is the best year of my life i got a free pass in high school i get to be home do two hours of work instead of seven hours of work and get to work and make money this is great and so will's an optimist and uh, you see shauna shauna's in the back back there um shauna's a full-time uh building sub at milton hershey school if you know anything about milton hershey he uh started a school for kids that were underprivileged and so shauna gets the privilege of being uh, in that school every day and, and helping students, uh, third graders, learn how to do fractions. So I'm still learning how to do that. But uh, hey, um, in all seriousness, there's a, there's a significant problem that's happening in the world today. You may have heard about it. There are three billion people on this planet that do not know Jesus. Three billion people that don't know Jesus. To put it a little uh, more simply, 44,000 people die every day without ever hearing the name of Jesus. I don't know if you realize that, but that's a significant problem because that's not how it ought to be. People need to hear the saving grace of Jesus Christ. They need to hear the message that they can be saved from their sin and they can have an eternity with Christ, but they can also have freedom and redemption in their day-to-day -day life as well. And so... Um, the problem is that there's, there's this significant problem that's happening in the church today, especially in the EFCA and Reach Global, where there's a shrinking missions force to take that good news to the ends of the earth. The 70s, 80s, and 90s saw one of the greatest movements of missionaries to go uh, to the ends of the earth to take the gospel. And there's a problem that those, those friends are retiring and coming off the field and there is no one to back them up. There's no one to fill those gaps. We have 550 missionaries in the, in, the, in the EFCA, and in the next five years, we're going to see about 20% of them retire, and I don't know who's going to take their place. And so in this, last, in this next season of my life, I've made that problem my problem. I want to do something about that, and I'm trying to help churches understand that issue and do something about that as well. And so Apex is part of the EFCA. It's the next-gen missions arm, if you want to say that. It's a pipeline to serve local churches to help mobilize the next generation to take the gospel from here to everywhere. And so through different kinds of experiences, through different kinds of education, we, uh, we give students an opportunity to taste and see the goodness of God all over the world and, and just ask the question, is God asking 
asking you to go here full time? If God is God asking you to take the next season of your life to bring the gospel to this group of people? And so we do domestic and international experiences for students, especially for college students, three weeks and six weeks with our Reach Global missionaries just to see what is God doing and to ask the question, can I be a part of that? If you've been around the next generation like I have, uh, the emerging generation, there's some unique challenges that are facing them today. Uh, the skyrocketing cost of college and the traditional way of getting an education is a significant roadblock for students getting the skills and knowledge they need to be able to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so we've got, we're coming up with some ways to help students with that. Um, little, little fun fact, if you go long-term with Reach Global, they will help pay for your college bill. I'm like, Thank you, Reach Global, and whatever donor did that. Um, if, if you also know anything, when I was a sophomore in high school, I was at summer camp, and the speaker said, hey, if you're feeling like God's calling you to full-time ministry, raise your hand. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. And, um, and so what I, what I ended up doing was I said I knew that God was calling me, and I, 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 I obeyed. And I went to Moody Bible Institute, became a youth pastor. That was pretty easy pathway for me. Well, that's just not the narrative for most of the next generation. The, an easy, small step is what's next for them. And to go from here to the ends of the earth just seems like an incredible long leap, and they won't take it. And so Apex is here to help take, is to provide the easy next steps for students all along the way. We often say, we don't need you to know what to do with the rest of your life. We just want you to know what to do next summer. And so we provide opportunities for that, uh, for students to take during the summertime. Our goal, friends, it's a big one, is to put 100 next-gen missionaries on the field with the EFCA by the end of 2025. So far, we've got 12. I want to introduce you to one of them. His name is Joel. Joel is a student of mine at Hershey Free as a, when I was a youth pastor there. He's been on all kinds of short-term missions trips. We took him to Haiti. Uh, as a junior, and Joel had never basically left Pennsylvania. <laughs> and uh, he went to Haiti. It was like the first time he ever broke a sweat. He was like, what is this thing called heat? And uh, basically was shriveling up. But God did something in his life on that week in Haiti. And today, Joel has, is celebrating his fourth week on the mission field in Mexico City. He's almost fluent Spanish already as a 22-year-old. It's an amazing story of what God is doing. And it's one of those things that I just take great pride in that God is doing through Apex, that students like Joel are to go from a farm in Pennsylvania to the inner city of Mexico City to take the gospel to people who've never heard it. And so my role on the team is I'm the director for Apex. Uh, the next picture, I get to lead this team of people who help with, with short-term trips in the United States and internationally, and I get to help with vision, direction, to run point with them, to build relationships with churches, to be the in-between the national team and, and churches like you and districts. I get to do that and build friendships with those people and, uh, and to lead this team and stay on task to bring the gospel through the next generation to the ends of the earth. Before I uh, step off, I just want to ask you to do one thing. Can you pull out your phone? You all have phones. You all have probably been looking at them while I've been talking. <laughs> Welcome to being a youth pastor. Um, pull out your phone and set an alarm for 10.02. You choose, a.m. or p.m. Luke 10.2 says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send more workers into the harvest field. This is a practice that our team has every day in our life. 
Our, my alarm goes off at 10.02 every day, and I, whatever I'm doing, I stop, and I just ask God to send more workers into the harvest field. So Joe, when the alarm goes off, please stop what you're saying. No, we want to keep what you're saying and pray. <laughs> All these alarms are going to go off in a minute. Um, and so would you, would you join our team in asking God to send more workers into the harvest field? There's an incredible need. 44,000 people a day don't know Jesus. We need more workers in the harvest field. So will you join us in that work? At least pray and ask God to do that. We'd love to talk with you. Sean and I will be in the cafe. Can't miss us. We'd love to just spend a little time with you after the service. We'll be there all morning. Thanks. Stephen. Well, church, with that, let's stand together and come to the Lord and worship. Father, we thank you that you are the God who changes lives changes hearts so that our desires are no longer for ourselves but for you and with that uh, we are compelled to minister and, and share who Christ is with our loved ones um, with enemies with with anyone we pray Lord for this effort we thank you for David the Bormas we praise you for the ministry you've accomplished in them thus far we pray Lord for just more fervor and more steadfastness as they uh, look to this next chapter of this high calling, this high goal of sending students out in the mission field. Father, help us to uh, just have that same um, passion and compassion that we would remember those outside of Christ. Remember those that uh, do not call upon his name, do not trust his name, think he's a God who is uh, against them, uh, who is uh, far off, disinterested. Lord, we know because of Christ Jesus, you are a God who is very near. God who was willing to send his son to become fully human and fully divine and therefore able to live before you perfectly, sinlessly, and to offer that sinless blood for wicked blood, for unrighteous blood like mine. And I thank you, Lord, that you would uh, accomplish this through your very son. So Lord, as we sing, I pray that there would be a sense of joy, a sense of turning toward you, and a, a sense of hope, Father. We all need that this morning. And so we, we praise you for Christ Jesus, to whom we offer our praises. Amen. Grief and guilt, my soul of 
can seem like a, like a bad word sometimes or a word we don't often want to talk about or hear. But uh, it's a gift. It's a gift of God because it's a turning toward God, towards a gracious God, a forgiving God, a restorative God. And so here we have David, the king, who understood this very well. We know of the various sins and struggles in his life, and yet he understood and kept coming back to this God of all grace, this God who forgives 
this God who covers sin. And so we have this blessing to um, share in this uh, as we confess together as a church, Psalm 32, David's prayer of repentance. And so may it be ours. It's a gift. Let's say this together. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And I'll read this. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who's godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You're a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Hold him there, the 
righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. One with himself I cannot die, my soul is purchased by his blood, my life is in with Christ on high. Christ my Savior and my God With Christ my Savior and my pardon me. How can it be? We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And church, you can be seated. Let's go before the throne this morning in prayer. Father, as we come before you this morning in the name of Jesus, we declare that you are God and earnestly we will seek you. Father, it is our desire to see you in this sanctuary, to behold your power and your glory. Father, your love is greater than life, and our lips will glorify you. We will praise you as long as we live, and in your name we will lift up your hands. You have satisfied our souls as with the riches of foods, and with singing lips our mouths will give you praise. For Father, we praise you for the opportunity we have to gather here this morning in your house, to step outside of the world in which we, we spend most of our time and, and to come and, and worship together, to fellowship with one another in a time where we seem so isolated. The fellowship we share with one another, Father, we praise you for that. We praise you that we're able to come and to sing your praises, Father, for you are a great God one who is worthy of our praise. And Father, we praise you for the opportunity to come today to feast on your word. We pray that uh, we be people who look more like you. Father, our prayer is today that our church would continue to be a beacon of light to our community. Again, in a time where there's much struggle and heartache and pain and loss, 
Father, that people were looking for an answer. Father, we have that answer. That answer is Jesus. Father, there are plenty of hurting and struggling families in our midst here today. Depression. People who have lost loved ones. Who are dealing with physical issues. Father, the prayer is that you would heal them, Father. Comfort them. Use your spirit in a way that only he can do, Father, which is to give us encouragement through your word. Father, this morning we want to lift up Luciato and their family. We thank you for the opportunity they gave last week to give testimony to a work that you're doing in their lives. We pray a hedge upon their family, Father, as they continue to work towards that end. But, Father, we learned this week of the recent passing of Lewis's father. We know that that is a, a hardship, Father, that no one wants to endure. Our prayer is today that uh, you would use your spirit again in a mighty way, giving them peace and comfort that only you can give, Father. Uh, enable us to uh, wrap our arms around them, Father, during this time, giving them comfort and aid when necessary. Father, we pray for uh, the ministry that uh, Lewis is starting here, uh, this Pure Desire ministry that will be next Tuesday, that you would continue to use uh, that as a, as a, as a means to, to bring people closer to you, Father, to, to cast off sin and to find hope in Jesus Christ. Father, we pray for our elders here uh, today at Providence, that as they continue to lead us spiritually, that you would um, give them growth, uh, not only together as men, but also spiritually, Father, that uh, as they make decisions uh, for our church and where we're headed, that you would continue to, to guide them, lift them up. Father, for our pastors, for Pastor Caleb and his family, that you would, uh, Father, watch over them, protect them, uh, give them enablement as they work with our youth, uh, that you would see um, spiritual growth in them, that we would see uh, a harvest of young people. Father, that would not leave this place and forget the truths that they have learned. Father, seal your word to their hearts. And uh, we pray for Pastor Ian and his family, Father, as um, they do life together. Uh, as Ian is in seminary, you continue to give him the, the strength and energy and desire to, to open your word and to seek your truths. And Father, to finish strong in that area. For the ministry he does with our worship and what a blessing that is continue to give him encouragement and enablement uh, during this time uh, for pastor joe and his family uh, father as he brings the word today that you would give him the encouragement beyond his own strength today father to teach your word to preach the truths found therein father for his leadership in our small groups i'm thankful for that and what a blessing it is that we have that opportunity to meet together, to do life together, to, to work out our faith together. Uh, continue to give him that enablement to see that uh, ministry grow and to be strengthened, Father. For Pastor Austin and his family and his ministry as our preaching and teaching pastor, Father, that you would continue to give him that enablement to study your word, to be above reproach, to lead us as you would uh, have him to do, Father. Look forward to the baptisms uh, that we'll be having here, Father, that you would... Uh, uh, prick people's hearts uh, as they know you as their personal Lord and Savior they would take that step in obedience uh, to let the world know Father that they are people who are different and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ 
Well, thank you for um, David Borman this morning and the ministry that you've given him and his family at Apex Missions that even now we would see not only our young people, but also uh, anyone in our church, Father, be pricked to, in their hearts to, to do either short-term missions, long-term missions work to see the gospel advanced uh, to the ends of this earth, Father. We thank you for the opportunity to open our Bibles today and feast on the abundance of wisdom and life-changing truths found in the text of your holy word today, Father. Help us to be people who desire to hear your word and with the aid of your spirit apply those words to our lives. We pray that you would enable us to desire you more, to gain a stronger craving for your holy word and a longing to cultivate a real and true relationship to our creator, sustainer, savior, and Lord. Father, make us fervent in prayer and joyful in praise. Help us to serve you this day without distraction, that we may find this day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, and that it is good for us to come near to God. May we leave here today looking more like Jesus Christ for your glory and for the advancement of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you please stand with me this morning? As we open our words, the, the Word of God will be in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19 through the end of the chapter. Again, Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how a son with a father he has served me with in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And may God add his blessing to the reading of the word. You may be seated. Good morning. For those of you who uh, may be new here to Providence Church, uh, my name is uh, Joe Cerisi. I am one of uh, the pastoral staff here. And it's a joy just to share uh, God's word with you this morning. And uh, I want to start off with a question. So um, in your mind, answer it. Who do you emulate? Think out over the relationships that you may have or not have. Who do you emulate? Or who do you like to become like? Who do you respect as an example to live by? When I was a young boy, maybe dating myself, uh, my favorite team was the Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, 
Uh, don't hold that against me now. You know, some of you guys already checked out. So, uh, but um, I grew up in the 70s as a young boy, and the Steelers were my team. And one player I wanted to be like and emulate was Terry Bradshaw. I studied his every move. When I uh, either played background uh, or playground uh, football or organized football, uh, I mimicked his every move. Uh, I huddled like Terry Bradshaw. I approached the center like Terry Bradshaw. I handed off like Terry Bradshaw. I dropped back to pass and pass like Terry Bradshaw. I even held the football like Terry Bradshaw. If you know Terry Bradshaw like, as well as I do, you know he kind of holds his finger out on top of the football. I wanted to be like Terry Bradshaw. And it, maybe you don't need to ask how well that worked for me. Uh, um, then when I was 16 years old, I began to follow Jesus. And two men said to me, basically, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow me as I follow Jesus. Everything they taught and modeled, I emulated. I guess you could say from that moment on, I became more like them than I did Terry Bradshaw. And one of the primary reasons for this has to do with how relational proximity gave birth to spiritual growth in me. I was closer in proximity to them than I was Terry Bradshaw. And I've been reading the Bible for uh, a long time. In the Bible, in the Bible, the bar is set pretty high about the role of relational proximity and modeling spiritual virtues that can have an impact in other people's lives or people can emulate in others. It's why we have following Christ together here as our vision statement at Providence. So as you can imagine, over this past year, we have found ourselves asking questions like, how do we social distance and develop the types of relationships that Scripture admonishes us to have at the same time? It's really a different twist on an age-old question, an age-old proximity relational depth challenge question. Only now, Christ followers have to become more creative with the relational proximity piece so that meaningful relationships can develop, thrive, and be emulated. And, you know, the subject really hasn't been uh, new to us as humans. Uh, developing meaningful relationships have always been a significant topic of discussion Earliest records that we have show uh, in 350 B.C. when Aristotle talked about three types of relationships. He said there's the friendship of convenience, there's friendships of pleasure, and there's friendships of virtue. Uh, the friendships of convenience, he says, are shallow. They're people we rely on or may rely on us as long as the expectation of the investment aren't too great. Pleasure-based friends, they're your golf buddies. They're the people that you do spin class with at the YMCA, or people that you meet up for wings at ZZ's. The only problem here is we never get beyond our favorite sports team. Conversations about our children's school teachers or solve all the contradictions of our pandemic that we're in. 
things never really get soul serious. The ultimate friend, though, the friend of virtue, they're worth emulating because they model how to live, talk, and act and relate with other humans, you and me, and they can talk about and interact all about the mundane things of life, but it's very easy to get to the depths of the soul, and they model it well, and they're very encouraging. Scripture also gives us a number of different levels of relational proximity. There's the distant relationship, an example of this would be like listening to a podcast of someone that you admire. They, they're, they're great communicators. Or there's an author that you like and you like reading their books. It's not a real relationship, but it also doesn't mean that we can't benefit from them. It just means that I can't emulate what I don't relationally know about them. Another level would be like attending a worship service like this one here. Or, or watching a, a church service. And every week we get a chance to see Austin and hear Austin teach. But it's a monologue. It's almost a relationship because afterwards you can ask Austin a question. But there isn't enough time in Austin's week to meet with every single one of us individually for virtuous purposes. The last and best example of proximity is regular meeting with someone at Panera Bread. I go to Panera Bread, and I see a lot of you meeting with people at Panera Bread. Or you're connected with them uh, via technology. Or you're moving into a small group. I encourage you to uh, meet in a small group where virtue can be developed and then emulated. Now, the truth about proximity, and all of us know about this, and that it is critical in developing friendships, but we also know that it doesn't guarantee a friendship of virtue. And this has always been the case. This isn't just new to us this last year. Nothing is going to change that, not a pandemic, nor persecution. Our willingness to be in relational proximity in being of the same mind, what we learned uh, over the last week, same mind, same love, being full of core with one mind together as followers of Jesus, will always require a greater commitment and risk as we address the proximity relational depth challenge in all of our lives. No one's immune here, folks. Then when we come to passages like this, Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, this is not a relational rock concert, folks. There are no light shows here. No one's favorite Bible verse is found in the passage that we just read. Your Bible app that you have on your phone will not send you a verse from this text. No one posts on their refrigerator any of these verses. But if you've been here from the beginning of our study in the book of Philippians, you know that Paul opens up with this really heart-stirring ambition, uh, inspiring Christ-centered ambition. Uh, then he moves on to a, uh, an exhortation uh, of challenging the Philippians to live worthy of the gospel. And, you know, we're motivated with that. 
Then he follows up in the beginning of chapter 2 with his plea for unity, being in the same mind that comes through humility. And then if, you, if you're reading ahead, you come to chapters 3 and 4, and you read more exhortations and more encouraging words. And before we get there, we have to go through chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. A travel itinerary. Seriously? How many of you can't wait to get an email from a friend about their travel itinerary? Honey, I just got the itinerary. This is awesome. Seriously, what are we to do with this? Should we just skip over it and move on to more important things like our union with Christ or what it means to live in the power of the resurrection or how we might have peace with God? That's what's coming, folks. But what do we do this? We could skip over it. We could do that. But if we do, we'll learn, we will learn something that we'd, we'd probably really miss and that we need. We'd skip over something about this proximity and relational depth issue that God desires for every single person. There's more here than just a travel itinerary, folks. Timothy and Epaphroditus are good examples of a close relationship with the Philippian church. And to understand why they even show up here in the middle of a book, this type of stuff usually ends up at the end of the book. But to understand why they show up here in the middle of a book, we really have to go back to chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, which says this as a reminder. And Austin did an amazing job with this passage, and I encourage you to go back and review it if you weren't here. But the passage says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort and love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Now, when Paul says that, let each of you, as an ending to four amazing verses on how to live, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. The word interests here that we translate is really a filler. In the Greek, it's open-ended. All that is specified is your thing and others' thing. It could easily be translated this way. Let each of you look not only to your own, and then as Austin did a few weeks ago, fill in the blank. What's your thing? Is it financial affairs? Your own family? Property? Reputation? Success? even happiness. Don't just look to your interests, but look to the financial affairs, families, health, happiness of others. Look to their interests. Make the good of others the focus of your interests. Make joy, find your joy by making others joyful. So if you continue reading from chapter 2, verse 4, what Paul gives us is not just two examples of individuals who, to emulate Timothy and Epaphroditus, but four examples of this mindset, moving the relational proximity closer as he gives us each example. 
And if you read slowly this chapter, you will see how important it is to have someone to emulate in the way he illustrates it four times. And so you ask, well, who's our first example? Well, Paul gives us our first example in Jesus himself. Verse 5 and 8, he says, Have this mind among yourselves. What mind? The mind of verse 4, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count it equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing by taking the form of a servant. A form of a servant is what it means to look to the interests of others. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. That is, he laid down all his legitimate entitlements by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus is our supreme example. That's our bullseye. The second person of the Trinity made himself nothing to die on a cross. For the Philippian church and us, Jesus is our greatest example of let each of you not look to your own interests, but the interests of others. The second example is a step closer in proximity and relational depth with the Philippian church, and that is Paul himself. It's interesting, uh, just a side note, that uh, as as, as God gives us revelation, that's Inspired, inerrant, sufficient. Um, he chose that Paul would, the author would be an example himself. And to the Philippian church, the best of their knowledge, Paul is still alive. And the potential for them to be in close proximity with him again is, is great. And they longed for that day. Not, and not just for fellowship, As Paul later said in verse 24, I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Why did Paul want to visit them? Why did he want to be with them? He knew that being with them increased the probability of them following him as he followed Christ sacrificially and in humility. They had a virtuous relationship. Paul says in verses 12 through 18, Therefore, my beloved... Not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Hear the proximity thing going on there? Verse 17. Even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. He's saying, hey, look, this is, this, this is awesome. I am delighted. It brings joy to my soul to be a sacrificial offering to you. Code language for being interested in your interests. Paul is sacrificing his own interest to a people that he loves dearly so that they can grow spiritually. He was willing to deny himself so that their faith would grow strong. That's the second example. And so we finally come to our passage. And our third example is Timothy. To the Philippian church, their relationship with Timothy is another step closer in depth. And here's what we know about him. We, we know a lot about Timothy, so we can't go through everything. Uh, Timothy helped start the church. And with that being the case, they would have fond memories 
of this young man because he played an important role in demonstrating a humility that should be emulated. He lived for their spiritual welfare. Here, Paul specifically writes in such a way that explicitly recalls what he said in verse 4. Verse 19 through 20, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him. Hear that virtuous, uh, the virtuous tones in his relationship with Timothy? I have no one like him. Who is what? Who will be genuinely concerned for your things, your interests, translated here. It's the exact same word in the, in the original language, translated here, welfare. For they all seek their own interests. Again, interests, the contrast. Not those of Jesus Christ, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served me with, or served with me in the gospel. In these verses, Paul um, is, is giving the Philippian church this third example. And he's talking, he talks about two qualities that should be emulated in Timothy. First is that he cares for people. I have no one else like him who genuinely cares about your welfare. And this wasn't an act for Timothy. He learned it from who? His mentor, Paul. Someone who is not only looking to his own interests, but to the interests of Father. Second, he lived sacrificially. Verse 21. The reader is induced to a relational contrast. He says, there are others who seek their own interests, not those of Jesus. We don't know specifically who he's talking about. He doesn't name anybody. When he says they all seek their own interests, he's emphatically drawing a contrast that they're unworthy. They're unworthy to be emulated. They're unworthy examples. But Timothy, he's the guy. He's the guy. You would do well to follow him. And by virtue of their relationship with him, that is the church's relationship with him, they would affirm his character. That's why Paul says to him in verse 22, you know him. You know him. You know what I'm saying is true. He's proven himself to you. He's still an example of someone who's genuinely concerned for you. So emulate him. Finally, verses 25 through 30 is the example of Epaphroditus. And in this section, uh, Paul is doing uh, two things to encourage the Philippian church. Number one, the Philippian church should follow his example to not only look to their own interest, but the interest of Epaphroditus himself. Second, they should respond in a way because Epaphroditus is an excellent example himself of having this mindset of verses 1 through 4, chapter 2. Up to this point, Paul is demonstrating three different levels of relationships of what it looks like to focus on other people's needs and interests. But now, he brings it home. He slams the door. Verse 25, he says, I thought it necessary to you to send Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. He's one of you, for he has been longing for all you all 
and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him. And not only him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm more than eager to send him back to you, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor for such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete the work that was lacking in your service to me. Here's what we know about Epaphroditus. He was sent by the Philippian church, just like we are going to send some of you on maybe one of Dave Borma's trips or something else that we're planning in the future. He was sent by the Philippian church and um, traveled 700 miles to be with Paul. And uh, that's why Paul describes it in verse 30, he risked his life. Most likely he was traveling with a monetary gift. Um, maybe he was accompanied with someone. It was a dangerous trip, especially being a Christian and being associated with Paul. Um, maybe some words of encouragement. And since the church sent Epaphroditus to minister to Paul's needs, they probably intended for him to stay with him for a while. Just kind of how it went. When the church discovers that Epaphrodites failed in his mission by becoming ill and burden, burdening Paul all the more because now instead of him being, being taken care of, he's got to take care of this guy. Paul understood that the church might have regretted sending him. This is why he chose to send him back home instead of Timothy first. And he made it clear that they were to welcome him back. He also wanted to double down on it and sure that the believers knew exactly how he thought of him. He called him my brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier and messenger. Epaphrodites walked side by side with Paul in his spiritual life and labors and dangers. He could have been thrown in a slammer just like Paul. He willingly took on the role of a servant to assist Paul. And Paul is basically saying, he's an exemplary example for some of you to follow. And he's right there under your nose. Paul chooses to describe him with a word that we translate minister. It's only used twice, folks, in the entire New Testament. The first time it's found in Romans 15, 16. Paul uses, uses it of himself. And then it's found here that he describes Epaphroditus. He doesn't describe Timothy that way. It's not a word that you just throw around and you hand off to someone. It's a strong word demonstrating a servant who publicly demonstrates all the components of what we read from chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. He's worthy of emulating because he doesn't look to his own interests only. He looks to your interests because he's one of you. Now, it's one thing to hear someone say to you and to me, let each of you look not only to your own interests but also the interests of others. It's another thing to ask, who are your examples? Who's your Terry Bradshaw? 
bad. That was bad. <laughs> Who's your example? Who are you striving to live like? The Philippian church had Jesus. It's a supreme, supreme example. Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus. And in a sense, we have them as well. But who do you have? As you're sitting here, in what ways are you emulating following Jesus in the ways of looking at other people's interests? How about Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus? Is there anyone in your relational community who represents this proximity relationship, depth of relationship challenge in your life? And are you moving closer and closer to friendship of virtue? Or are most of your friends out of convenience and or pleasure? You just like having guys to talk about things while you're chomping down some, some, a good hamburger somewhere. Would anybody write someone, a Christ follower, and comment on this passage, and you say, hold it, I know that person. And then they go on to describe you. So who are you going to be like? Yeah, if we dive down a little bit deeper in this, if you allow me to, have you ever wonder why friendships of virtue, why we don't like them? Why they're so hard? Well, it's because they're inconvenient and very unpleasurable. I have, I, I, I've been blessed with a number of them. And whenever one of them comes into my office, it's like, oh, man, he's going to take that finger out and he's going to start poking and prodding my soul. He's a real friend. I want to be like that because I know he's got my interests in mind. You know, in closing, I, I struggle with how do, how do you end something like this? And um, I think it has to do with what we confessed here as we read earlier. I think there needs to be some repentance going on. I think for us to take the next step in being proximity closer to people, however you're working that out now, and moving to a depth of relationship that de Jesus desires for us. Um, I, I think pride and fear get way too much in our way. And I think we just simply need to repent of Jesus and ask the one who humbled himself as our example by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, to, to forgive us of being so focused on our own interests. And then the thing that we follow up on is, is ask the one who died for us on, on the cross for our sins. To be like the one who, who set before us in the life of Epaphroditus. Look how Paul refers to him. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life. You see, Epaphroditus risking his life was not about success or failure. It was about obedience. 
It was about obedience. Lord, help us to emulate your son in ways that you, your spirit would encourage us to move closer with other people as we follow your son together, whether if it's in a small group, over a computer screen, in a men's Bible or women's Bible study, to going on a missions trip with someone as friends of convenience, of pleasure, and returning as friendships of virtue. Lord, forgive us of being so absorbed with our own interests that we forget about you, us as a church, and those who are dying today far from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, church, let's stand together and respond to the word with singing.
prayer that the Lord would build us up to follow him, to trust him. Speak, oh Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and ideas of faith. Speak. Oh Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your
From the words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy, um, as he writes him a personal letter, after encouraging him um, in an aspect of ministry and service, he concludes, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you and stay warm today.